It's time for OWC Radio. Tech Talk with Creatives. Fun, informative, futuristic. OWC Radio's Creative Club. Conversations with host Serena Catania. This is Serena Catania with OWC Radio. I am with the wonderful Aubrey Mazzino, actor, filmmaker, and also operations at this great group that I love to follow called We Make Movies. So we have a lot to talk about. Hi, Aubrey. Hi, Serena. Nice to chat with you. Yeah, I'm so glad you could find time to do this. I know you're really busy. Let's tell people who have not met you where you come from and the New York to L.A. transition I find very interesting. You were working as an actor there. Can you tell us the good old days story? (laughs) Sure thing. (laughs) So I grew up in Philadelphia, as I like to refer to it lovingly, because that's how Philadelphians really talk about their own city is you know, sort of disparagingly, it makes us tougher. And then after graduating high school, I went straight to New York and I was studying at NYU. And so I had an interesting sort of process there where I started out in the Tisch program, which is the BFA active program. And due to many different things, including me actually getting hired for a gig outside of school, I ended up transferring internally within the school to the Gallatin program where you can essentially design your own major. And I realized actually that this was such a gift and an underutilized method or process uh, or path, I guess I should say, for performers, because what it allowed me to do was still pursue my conservatory training and go to a conservatory called the William Esper Studio, where I got to study with the incredible Bill Esper, who just recently passed, sadly. Um, But he truly changed my life and, and the lives of thousands of some of our favorite performers, Academy Award winners, Tony Award winners. So he's just truly amazing. And then I was able to sort of package that conservatory training with taking producing classes through the Stern Business School. And I was really able to get the business side and the craft side of acting sort of all in one, which isn't really possible if you take the traditional Tisch BFA program path. So I, I really love that I was able to learn about the business side of things from a really early age and understand not only how to be a engaging, intriguing performer, but also really how to make my own opportunities and how the other side of the camera works. And it sort of, I think, led me on the path where I am today doing what I do out in LA. So after I spent eight years in New York, after I graduated, I hung around for a little bit longer and was involved in a great theater group out there, actually, that really provided me with the community that I felt like I never really had at NYU. It's sort of strange when you go to school in New York City, the campus is sort of New York. So there isn't really the quad, there isn't really a place where people hang out. And I think that was the one thing I really did miss was that sort of camaraderie and that collaboration. So I got involved in a great theater group and put on some really, really wonderful projects with them and really just loved how collaborative and supportive it was, but kept feeling the itch to go out West. And I kept feeling most of the projects that I wanted to start focusing on were film related. I really loved the process of filmmaking. I was lucky enough to work on a couple feature films while I was in New York. And I just loved how the sort of challenge as an actor that you need to sort of go through when you're doing a feature where you most likely are shooting it out of order due to scheduling, due to weather, due to, you know, any sort of number of 
of issues that pop up during production. So I love that you had to sort of know your character inside and out so that, you know, on day one, you might be shooting the very end of the film. And on day two, you might have to go back to the beginning and knowing where to track that through line for that character. I really loved. And, you know, getting to walk away with something at the end, having done so much theater that really showcased and really, you know, encapsulated that, that moment in time was also great. You talked about William Esper and how he changed your life, basically. Can you go into that just a little bit? Because, see, I see you as a mentor to a lot of people now. What did he do that helped you so much? What did you get out of that relationship? So Bill Esper, he's a very, very famous teacher of the Meisner method. He studied with Sandy Meisner himself. And so he he was one of the few people that really, I feel like, taught a very pure version of that acting method. And when I started at his studio, I was still in college. I was young. And most of the people, most of my classmates there were post-college or just a little bit older. And I sort of came in with a really, I don't know, arrogant attitude, I think at first. I think I thought like, well, I don't know if this is really the right place for me. I don't know. You know, who is this guy? I, I didn't really come into it. Someone sort of suggested it offhand. And so I was like, I, I didn't do my research, essentially. That's like true of most young people, right? We think we know everything, right? Oh, I did. I did. <laughs> okay. I genuinely thought I knew everything. And <laughs> I thought maybe I would, you know, it was a two year program. I was like, I don't know. I'm probably going to book another project soon. So I'm probably only going to be here for a few months. Like, you know, let's see how it goes. So I went in for my interview with Bill himself. And there's several teachers that teach with him. So you're not automatically getting to study with him. He sort of places you with the instructor that he feels like is the best fit. And, you know, I went in, I think, with my very nonchalant sort of casual attitude about it. And he invited me to come study in his class. And looking back, I can't imagine what would have happened if I didn't actually get to study with him because it was such a gift and it was such a privilege that he offered me a spot in his class because the spots were few and far between. So I really was so incredibly lucky and pretty much once I got into the class and once he started teaching, I finally realized how much I didn't know and how much I needed to learn. And it was such a stark contrast to the training I had sort of gone through a brief while it was brief at NYU, um, it just felt like such a fit. It felt like, oh, this is this is my method. This is the, this is the technique that I want to learn. And this is the technique that is resonating within me. And one thing that Bill, I think, does so beautifully is he very, very quickly, I think, gets a very accurate assessment of each student and their their strengths and and how they approach the work. And he was able to really find individual and unique approaches to his instruction with each student in the class. In fact, there was a celebrity, famous person in my class that was honing their craft. This person had thousands upon thousands of hours of practical experience working already, but the way that he talked to that person versus me and just knew it instinctively and knew the words and the the examples that would resonate with both of us, you could see that it it wasn't necessarily this like blanket, one size fits all sort of approach that I think some teachers do take where not necessarily everyone is coming from the same background or the same experience or even the same internal emotional life. 
some people need a little bit more of a soft hand while some people need it, the tough love. And, and I will tell you with Bill, Bill can give some great tough love. We all got it at some point. Like he, he's, he's the sweetest man ever. And so, so generous with his time, but you know, he, he doesn't, uh, he never suffered fools and he took the craft of acting so seriously. And you could always tell how much he cared about it, that if he saw you not taking it as seriously as him, he would call you out on it and he was right to do so because there is no way that you can really half-ass this career. It needs to be something that drives every cell of your body towards wanting it. Otherwise it can be a very disappointing and very unfulfilling and very destructive, I think, lifestyle because you are dealing with being able to manipulate and change your emotions. And if you're not approaching it from a healthy lifestyle, it can be extremely destructive to people. And I think that's why Bill loved the Meisner method so much because he felt like it was a healthy, safe way to have a technique. The difference between Meisner and let's say the, the method is, you know, instead of really imagining your dead mother, for instance, in, you know, bring up an emotional scene, you would daydream. And the Meisner method is all about daydreaming. You would daydream about something that had a, a spark of truth to you, but then it would be fantasy. Then you'd go into fantasy land. So the things that you'd be daydreaming about to, to access those emotions aren't necessarily true. So once the scene ends, you can sort of walk away from the fantasy life and leave that behind and know that that was your performance and for your scene. And I think it provides a much healthier lifestyle for a lot of performers where you're not really constantly revisiting actual very traumatic experiences in your life. I know some people that, you know, we've all seen it. We've sort of seen Heath Ledger. We've seen a lot of these celebrities that can get sucked off the deep end, you know, just drop off. And it can truly go that route if you're not in the hands, I think, of someone as experienced and careful and conscientious as Bill Esper was. And he taught Sam Rockwell, Jeff Goldblum, Patricia Heaton. The amount of incredible, incredible performers that he has touched goes on and on and on. And since he just recently passed, I've been able to reconnect with some of my classmates and just relive some amazing, amazing moments we shared and together in class. And it was truly a transformative experience. I think I entered his class a baby, an infant, I think, a child. And while I didn't leave it necessarily a master performer yet, I think I was finally at least able to see where I need it to be, the level of expertise and mastery that I want it to get to. And I think I had no idea the depth that I, I sort of need it to get to when I entered there. And I feel like he finally really showed me there's a lot more. I need to go deeper. You'd always like, give in, give way. You you have to you have to go there. You have to push yourself. And I think as a, a young performer who was sort of dabbling in school plays and a few commercials here and there, my well was not deep enough to to really do the performances that I wanted to do, the deep, rich characters that I wanted to play. So he sort of gave me that peek behind the curtain and then after the two years were over, it wasn't. It wasn't like, all right, you're you're ready. It was. You need to keep working at this. You need to keep studying. You need to keep reading plays and watching great performances and 
coming to scene study class. And I did. I studied in his master class for another three years afterwards because I just was like, <laughs> I know there's so much more I need to learn here. And I'm not ready not ready to leave the nest yet, Bill. I'm not ready. Acting is such a fluid process and it's so raw. I think it's one of the reasons I love actors so much. That is actually the most interesting comparison between Meisner and the method that I've heard. I, I appreciate that. One of the lessons I had to learn, you know, working on movie sets with actors involved Val Kilmer on Stargate. And I didn't know. I walked up to him to try to have a conversation when he was in between scenes. And I thought, well, you can talk. But that was a very difficult role for him. And I'm trying to talk to him. And he's completely ignoring me. It's like I'm not even there because he was totally in the zone. And to this day, I feel guilty about that because basically what I was doing was interrupting his process. But I also agree with you that I think Meisner is an emotionally healthier way to learn how to act. Yeah, I agree. In order to be successful, don't you think you have to just open your entire heart and all your emotions up and trust your director? Yes, yes, absolutely. There's that level of trust that happens. It's so important. And, you know, that goes back to teamwork. And we're going to talk about We Make Movies. I'm very interested in you as a person, not just as a creative, but also <laughs> as somebody who, who, in a way, like some of us, has the left and the right brain working. And is that a conflict, <laughs> right? Is that a conflict or is that a help to you? I don't know it any other way, but so it's sort of, I've had to sort of make it work. I do feel like I have more of a balance between the right and left than a lot of my dear, dear friends who are performers, sort of masculine, organized, side, that kind of thing. But I have liked it. And I think it sort of goes back to why I really loved the Gallatin program. Where I was able to sort of divide up my studies between the crafts and the business of it. And I think that just sort of appealed more to my sentiments and the way I approach things, which is sort of with a healthy dose of the right and the left. Yeah, I think that is why I needed an instructor like Bill Esper. Talking about how important a coach is to actors. And I remember sometimes they tell you things that really hit you right at the core, right? And you don't believe it. I don't know if that's happened to you, but like there, I remember Milton Costellis telling me after a scene that I was stubborn. He said, you're stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> You've never heard that, have you? <laughs> he said, oh, you're, yeah. you're stubborn. And I looked at him like he was crazy. How could I possibly be stubborn? And then years later, I realized that's probably one of the most important things he ever told me because what he was really telling me was I needed to trust and it's hard for somebody, you know, who is giving their all up there to trust the person that's directing you. But I hope that I've been able to take that and turn it around and work with actors in a way that's loving and respectful, but also helps them to, to do their best work. I'm curious about how you feel about how much the director directs you and how much freedom they give you when you're doing a scene. How do you feel about that? I love film because it is a collaborative medium. So I absolutely love when a director wants to take time to do rehearsals or talk through the character. I think that is not only incredibly useful, but it's great fun. I think it's fun to sort of do that work with someone else and see what their vision is and talk through possibilities and different ways we can try the scenes. So I love it. I think 
doing that, especially before you get to set. So once you are there and, you know, hopefully the director then can sort of trust that you do have it because there needs to be a level of trust on both sides that they hire you. If they cast you in that part, then they hopefully liked what you did in the audition and they liked what you brought to the character. So I think there needs to be healthy trust on both sides that the director can trust that the actor can do what they showed them before. And also the actor needs to trust that they are doing what the director wants as well. I think a a big trap that I have fallen into and other people can fall into is start second guessing and doubting your performance the day of and on the set, especially with directors who maybe don't have the time to go in and give you, you know, a great note between each take, that kind of thing. I think it's great when they can sort of check in with you, but sometimes, you know, often on the day, they're juggling lighting and camera questions, makeup questions, the wardrobe questions. So you don't often get that one-on-one time between each take. And I think it's a trap that actors can fall into where like, oh my God, you know, am I doing it right? I'm not getting any feedback from the director. But I think there needs to be a trust that happens where you're like, no, I was hired for this job. I'm solving a problem. They liked what I'm doing. So You know, I sort of always try to remind myself, no news is good news. And if there isn't any sort of, you know, direction between the takes that like, all right, just, you know, keep going down the path that we're on. But I think if you can sort of have the luxury of of a more involved experience on set and just at least a check in, that'd be great. I think that's not the time to discover the character together or it's not the time to necessarily write the backstory for that character i think you need to come in with your homework done and trust that it's there but i love to improvise and i love to play around and i love when you know a director throws out you know a curveball and you know try the scene like this or hey just we've got what we need this last take you you try something whatever you want to do like that kind of fun on set i think is great but i think it's it, it definitely there needs to be a healthy trust ahead of time where you're not relying on the director to tell you how to do the role and the director should trust that you've done your homework and you're going to come to set fully prepared with a deeply realized character. So let's turn that around and think about you as a filmmaker. When you're you're directing and working with actors, how do you prefer to work with them yourself? I love the rehearsal process. So I usually definitely set up rehearsals prior to the shoot. And, you know, I'm lucky that Oftentimes, the people that I'm making my projects with are my friends or people that I know pretty closely. So they tend to be more generous with their time. When we shot our half-hour comedy pilot off the grid, we were so lucky to have a real long runway up to shoot. We had, I think, about three or four months once the script was locked before we actually got to set. And so we were really able to schedule out several different rehearsals with the cast ahead of time. And it was so essential, especially for a low budget indie set that we did that because we had to shoot 27 pages in three days. And we needed to know that once we got the set, that we could bang it out and that any sort of pause for time was just for camera because we didn't have the time to really work on character then. So if we hadn't done those rehearsals, I don't think we would have been able to make our days. And we made our day each time, each evening, and we were able to get everything, get the coverage we needed in a 
pretty condensed period of time because the actors knew exactly what to do. And so it was just about figuring out camera and lights the day of. So I think, especially if you're doing indie projects, having the sort of performance on lock before you get to set is extremely just efficient and useful and cheaper. But also I think it's more fun and it creates sort of like a bonding experience with the cast before you even get there. But I, I do feel like the one sort of pet peeve I could say as an actor, and I try not to do this with, with my performers and my actors is if you're giving a note to someone on set, you got to just watch. And there's, there's a moment of, of a head nod or a, a, you know, a verbal affirmation. There's a moment where they understand the note and that's when a director needs to stop talking. Exactly. Sometimes directors have a tendency to over explain. And that's when I think performers can get in their heads about the note. And so the, briefer and the, the more you can just look for that moment of understanding and recognition and stop talking there and then trust that the actor is going to do what you ask them to do that's helpful so I try to be extremely brief in my notes and trust that my actor is going to understand what I'm what I'm looking for that's good advice so let's go back you're in New York and you're yeah. dreaming about what are you dreaming about where do you want to go <laughs> <laughs> so in I always knew I was going to end up in LA at some point, especially back then. It was the city for film and television, and I knew that's what I wanted to really get more involved in. So I made the leap, but it was it was hard. It was a hard transition for an East Coast girl through and through to make the jump out west away from my family and all my friends and I really didn't know anyone out in LA when I moved here. It was truly a, a blind leap. I had a couple of acquaintances, but that was about it. And strangely, something kind of serendipitous happened, happened, which was I had a meeting with sort of someone I met in a actor's message board, strangely, and we were having a coffee date. And I was saying I was looking for a community because I had this wonderful theater group that I was a part of back in New York. And I really loved the collaboration and the community support. And I would love to find something out here that was similar. And she sort of said, you know, it, it's really funny. I heard about this group. It sort of sounds really similar to what you're talking about. It's called We Make Movies. Um, uh-huh. You can check it out. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, it was very strange, but it gets even stranger, which is I went online and submitted my info to go to one of their writers workshops and be a reader on one of their stage readings. And I got an email back pretty quickly from Sam Messman, who was one of the founders of it. And I had met Sam in New York a few years prior because he had come to one of the meetings, one of my theater group meetings and brought a script in that he had written. And we did a stage reading of his script. And so he wrote me back and said, you know, Hey, is this Aubrey from New York from the theater group? And I said, yes, it is. What are you, what are you doing? Like emailing me? Uh, are you, are you part of this group? And he goes, I started this group and I based it around your theater group because I thought it was so phenomenal. So anyway, inadvertently I had found essentially the film version of the theater group I was looking for completely half by happenstance, had no idea. You know, they say, <laughs> they say the universe gives you a second chance. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was, pretty much exactly the home I was looking for out in LA. And I, so I obviously took to it very quickly and just sort of became deeply involved, 
super, super quickly after joining and just wanted to help grow it and help in any way I could because I knew I had found my home, my tribe. So tell people about We Make Movies and what you do with them now. So We Make Movies is a do-it-yourself film collective and community that basically empowers and educates filmmakers and that's actors, crew members, writers to take back control and take back the power in their careers. You know, there's a lot of gatekeepers in this industry and a lot of people that feel like they need to get permission in order to do what they love. And we want to change that. And we want to give people the resources and the education and the support that they need in order to make their own projects and tell the stories that they want to tell. So without waiting for someone to say, yes, you can do that now. We do that through a variety of different ways. We hold weekly in-person workshops every Wednesday night in Hollywood, where we read new works of writers, do a stage reading where the audience then gives feedback to the writer. We also have a works in progress night called What's Next, where people bring in pieces in the post-production phase and get feedback on rough edits or even if it's just past the script phase, it could be storyboards, just something that's past the initial writing phase. And then we also have a night called Up on Our Feet Night, where actors and improvisers, and now we are even having some stand-ups come in and do performances that are off books, meaning anything that has no scripts in hand. So it can be a rehearsal. It's a great way to bring in a rehearsal for a project you're about to shoot. And again, we get feedback on that. And so Basically, we call that our pipeline. And, you know, you bring in your project when it's in the script phase, and then maybe you bring it in when you're in the rehearsal phase prior to shooting, and then you shoot it and you bring in the rough edits. And we really help people make their projects from conception to completion. And after it's done, then we even have a film festival that this year is going to be the first year that it will be an international film festival. We have submissions from all over the world coming in. And that happens in July. And then we get to sort of celebrate the work that our community has done over the past year. And we're hopefully even going to be partnering with an online distribution platform in the next couple months. So there'll be still more ways for our members' work to get seen. Oh, that's awesome news. Yeah, it's really exciting. In addition to the in-person support, we also have equipment that is offered at a discount to members to be able to be rented and we have services that we offer. And then the thing that I think is kind of our real secret sauce is this thing called the rolling production fund, which is a community pot. We have all of our workshops. That I want to add are completely free and open to attend to anyone at any time, but we do have membership. And if you choose to become a member, you get a variety of different perks depending on the level of membership you subscribe to. And so any money that we make over just our monthly nut that we need to put on four workshops each month, we put into this rolling production fund. And what happens is that once that pot gets big enough, we sort of go to our community and say, hey, what do you guys want to make? Do you want to wait and save up some money to make a half hour pilot? Do you want to make four shorts? You know, save up for a while and make a feature? What do you want to do? And the community votes. And then Once they've decided, right now we're holding a challenge for four micro shorts at $1,500. So once we've decided that, then we say, all right, community, send us your scripts. So each member gets to submit one piece. 
and then we read them and it is completely up to the community. The community decides by vote which projects are going to get a budget and then we literally hand out money and provide production insurance and also additional support and we literally do help people make the movies that they want to see, which is one of our values. We don't have rules, but we do have values and uh, one of them is make the movie that you want to see. So we try to put our money where our mouth is and actually help people do that. I went to one of the meetings where you had an on-stage reading, and I have to tell you, the feedback that the authors got from the people in that room was really professional. There's some very, very talented people involved with We Make Movies. I think you can be really proud of it. Let's tell people where they can go to learn more about it before we get too far away off the subject. Sure. You can go to our website. Our website is we make movies.org. So don't go to the dot com. We make movies.org. And, you know, there's all of the information about our workshops under upcoming events there. And uh, you can learn about membership as well. And if you subscribe to our newsletter, it only comes out once a week, every Monday. And you can sort of see what's on deck and what workshops are coming up and how to submit and get involved by subscribing to that. So, Aubrey, how did you get involved in Screen Actors Guild? So, <laughs> I got involved in SAG after about five years ago. I had a friend who was involved in volunteering on committees. And back then, they were just starting to launch a brand new committee called the Next Gen Performers Committee. And the Next Gen Performers Committee is aimed to engage the 18 to play 35 demographic within the union because they are the highest paying dues portion of membership, yet they are the least engaged, the least educated, and the least involved with union events. So they wanted to change that because essentially some really smart leaders in the union saw a big problem, which is that a lot of the, the board members that are serving and on the union were older. And we knew that at some point, you know, they were going to retire, hopefully or not have the time to dedicate to it. And there wasn't really an up and coming second wave to take over. And so the, literally the future of the union was kind of in peril. And the Next Gen Performers Committee was sort of the, the idea to hopefully solve some of that, which is if we have a committee that's really dedicated to providing events and education that appeals to that demographic, we can get them more involved in the union. So I was sort of brought on to lead that committee with a wonderful fellow named Ben Whitehair. We sort of knew the same mutual friend, and we were sort of the two NGP-type folks who were social media savvy and sort of in touch with what union service was about and they thought would be a good fit. So we were both brought on at the same time because the committee, while it was aimed at the 18 to 35 demographic, the people that started weren't really within that range. So they knew they needed to bring in people to sort of take it over once now that it's been launched. So Ben and I were brought in to help really get this thing off the ground. And we have been growing by leaps and bounds. We've done such fantastic events, networking events, educational events. But then what happens once you sort of start hanging around the union and getting involved a little bit, I started learning about how internal process works for electing board members and how elections work in general there and why people needed to be involved in governance at the union. So I sort of started learning some 
bits and pieces here and there. And some friends that I had met through the union sort of suggested that I run for the local board in LA for a term. And I did. And much to my surprise, I won a two-year term, which was so incredibly educational. You sort of are thrown into the deep end once you are elected. There isn't really a handbook that you get that sort of explains all the details about each contract or about how board member rules work or anything like that. So sort of you got to learn on the on the job. And I, I learned so much about what the union does and the protections it provides performers and how incredibly, incredibly important collective bargaining is, especially in today's world where there are new platforms and technologies emerging almost daily, I feel like. And the union is there to sort of be at the forefront of protecting performers and making sure that they are given a fair piece of the pie because, for instance, the streaming now with Facebook Live, with podcasts, with all of these things, it's really important that performers are protected. Video games, the interactive field with VR, I mean, there's a lot of potential for some actors to get taken advantage of where people can essentially inhabit their avatars of a performer and it's a non-union job. You get 500 bucks for the whole day and your likeness is out there you know, being played for perpetuities. For a company that's making billions of dollars. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we can't go it alone. These producers have the resources, unlimited resources, essentially. So having the collective bargaining of the union is really important. And it's also another community. I think it's pretty clear that that, that is something that's very important to me. And I was able to sort of find a secondary group of amazing people there and I I think just this industry can be very isolating and very uh, feel very like a solitary sort of path because a lot of times you know you're not getting up necessarily and going to the office every day with the same group of people most of the time you're either at home working on your your website or going to a class or going to an audition for five minutes and then getting back in your car and driving home. And, and I think it can be very isolating for a lot of people. I know there's times it's felt very, very sort of lonely to me. So I think the more we can connect with people who are going through the same thing, the better this can be and the more fun it can be and not feel like, you know, oh my God, I'm just completely the only person experiencing going through this. So the union should be there to do that as well. And I'm happy to to help be a small little part of that. Well, Aubrey, you're doing so many wonderful things. I'm so glad you moved to LA and we make movies is a wonderful organization. I think it's very important for creative people to know that they are not alone, that they have resources available to them. And I'm a big fan of what you're doing there. Let's tell people where they can go to see more about Aubrey and Mozino. So I have a website. Uh, you can go to aubreymozino.com. So that's A-U-B as in boy, R-E-Y-M-O-Z as in zebra, I-N-O. And uh, you can also find me on Instagram if you like sarcastic little videos <laughs> or clips at aubreym21. Yeah, I I am excited to see what the best movies and for SAG-AFTRA. I think there's some, some exciting stuff on the horizon with how 
accessible filmmaking is getting because technology is just getting less expensive. So it's really sort of democratizing this industry and allowing people who before weren't able to tell stories, giving them a chance to really be able to step up and share their voice with the world. So I, I think the next several years is going to be pretty inspiring and pretty cool. I think we're going to hark back to some, you know, real more interesting characters and voices and stories. That's what I want to be a part of. I think I'm going to call this part one because we are definitely going to want to keep an eye on you and talk to you more often. So <laughs> this is Serena Catania and I have been talking with the ever-talented, incredibly intelligent, and also very beautiful. This is radio, so you cannot see her pictures. But Aubrey Mazzino, thank you for taking the time. And like I tell everybody, get off your chair and go do something wonderful today. We'll talk again soon, Aubrey. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. It was my pleasure. 